This is Ed Mayhew, Chairman Emeritus of the City Club of Chicago. Our program today was actually our first in-person panel discussion in over two and a half years. More than 275 people jammed our meeting room to hear what does it take to rebuild a community that has been left behind. They heard a report from the Lawndale Community Development Council and the Greater Cities Initiative of the University of Illinois at Chicago urging need for action in Chicago's Lawndale community. Using existing data and community input, the panelists identified some very disturbing trends and painted a vivid picture of a community struggling to keep up. Their report demonstrated what generations of disinvestment, systematic racism, and neglect can do to a neighborhood like North Lawndale. The panelists drew comparisons to the thriving Lakeview neighborhood on Chicago's north side and revealed a stark contrast that underlines the benefits of those who continue to live in North Lawndale. Major trends that the panelists, which included Barbara Palmer Barber of the North Lawndale Employment Network, Rodney Brown of the New Covenant Corporation, Deborah Wesley of the Sinai Community Institute, and Richard Townsend, who is the Executive Director of the Lawndale Christian Development Corporation, include, one, leakage. $124 million a year in spending is leaving North Lawndale due to leakage. A strong education gap with only 12.7% of the community having a bachelor's degree, but 21% of the jobs requiring them. A racial mismatch. While only 2.3% of North Lawndale residents are white, more than half of the jobs in the neighborhood are held by white workers and population loss. Unlike many Chicago neighborhoods, North Lawndale has been experiencing population loss for the several decades. The panel's recommendations included a Marshall Plan for North Lawndale, a Choose North Lawndale campaign to get companies and others to invest in North Lawndale's public infrastructure, workforce challenges, diversity, inclusion, equity, and technical assistance grants. On the economic forefront, they focus in on food oasis and the need to fast-track investment products, eliminating the boondoggles that often come out of such areas as government and city hall. All in all, this was a real challenge to more than 275 people gathered to hear about what is happening in the community of North Lawndale today. Thank you. Today's uh, topic is economic trends and opportunities in Invest Southwest and North Lawndale. Um, this is a pretty hot subject in Chicago and a pretty neat neighborhood for those of you all who have has has never been. Anybody never not been in Lawndale? Uh, that's wonderful to not see a hand up. Um, it's a great place to be. Speaking of Lawndale, um, all of our good friend, uh, Mr. and my, one of my mentors, Mr. Rufus Williams, let me know that, um, Richard Townsell was on his show this morning on WVON. So I think they were talking about this very subject. So we're going to be kind of tight on time. So if you see me moving around, like, you know, doing the rap sign, Mr. Townsell, you'll know why. Um, my job at this point is to decrease so that um, Richard Townsell, who serves as Executive Director, Lawndale Christian Development Corporation, will come up, and he will introduce the rest of the panel. Well, good afternoon. In 1986, the Chicago Tribune wrote a series of 29 articles and compiled them into a book called American Millstone, an examination of the nation's permanent underclass. The title American Millstone came about because the analysis was that neighborhoods like North Lawndale were a millstone around the neck of America. The term permanent underclass was brutal because they were talking about our friends, 
our family, our neighbors, and I would dare say our future. Words are powerful. And as I read these stories, there seemed to be a callous disregard for people that were trapped at the bottom rung of the economic ladder of life by no fault of their own in the richest and most powerful country in the world. Unfortunately, not much has changed. 31 years later, the North Lawndale Community Coordinating Council was formed because those same neighbors, those same friends, those same organizations and stakeholders were sick and tired of this one-sided narrative. Hundreds of us worked together, along with Chicago LISC, I see Megan Hart is here, and CMAP, to create a comprehensive plan for North Lawndale, the first of its kind in over 50 years, and as my brother Rodney always says at every meeting, a state award-winning plan. <laughs> Despite the common narrative that these folks can't work together, we made for three years as volunteers, weekly, monthly, and as often as needed to wrestle with a plan that was driven by the wishes, aims, and agency of those who Sly Stone would call everyday people and who Jesus would call the least of these. We created 13 committees, and I know some of the folks are here, so I'm going to call out those committees, health and wellness, economic development, workforce, housing, transportation, public safety, education, recreation, technology, capacity building, groves, those are the folks that do plants, arts and culture. The leaders on your panel today, Deborah Wesley, who's the president and founder of the Sinai Community Institute and executive vice president of Sinai Chicago, Rodney Brown, who's the executive director of the New Covenant CDC, and Brenda Palms Barber, CEO of the North Lawndale Employment Network and CEO of Sweet Beginnings LLC, a social enterprise, represent a few of the amazing servant leaders that I'm proud to know and rub shoulders with every day. Others are out there from all the other committees because North Lawndale rolls deep. Amen. They're out there. They're very quiet today. They don't, they're not quiet in the neighborhood. <laughs> that plan needed something, though. We needed data. We needed to see trends and analyze the things that we weren't even aware of. So I asked my brilliant and amazing friend, Lori Glenn, to find an equally brilliant and amazing researcher in Teresa Cordova to help us, and she did. The Great Cities Institute went above and beyond what we imagined You'll see why I say that in a minute. I'd be remiss to not thank both Deborah Bennett of the Polk Brothers Foundation. Applause. For providing the funding for the data book. And Pat Ford of the Staines. They keep changing the name. Staines Family Foundation. Not Stearns. For everything they do in North Lawndale. Finally, we have to acknowledge Mayor Lightfoot and Invest Southwest. Never has such attention and focus been paid to the communities like ours that have been left for dead, ravaged, exploited, abused, and picked apart by predatory vultures of all kinds. She inherited a mess, and it's up to all of us to work to pursue the common good over selfishness and self-centeredness. After Teresa's presentation, the panel will answer questions and give recommendations, some of which you have in your seat, based on the findings. So come on up, folks, and Teresa, do your thing. It's really, really great to be here. Um, I'm Teresa Cordoba, as been said. Um, I want to thank also the Great Cities Institute team, and we really appreciate um, the opportunity that we've had uh, to be able to work with the uh, the uh, Lawndale Christian Development Corporation. This is the kind of stuff that we like to do. We love nothing more than partnerships so that we can provide the kind of research that is useful in, in helping to think through some some of their strategic uh, opportunities. So th the first thing I want to do is I want to just point out very quickly that what we did in this study is we picked out comparison communities. So we used our hardship index that we developed and we picked out communities that first of all uh, are comparable to North Lawndale, mm -hmm. some that are more affluent that, that are lower on that hardship index and others that are higher on that hardship index. And so the ability then for us to be able to make comparisons was, was useful and we had a whole array of data uh, that we used to be able to compile this information. Um, you know, North Lawndale is 
It's like any other community. Right? What they want most are nice homes, safe streets, good schools, dignified living wage jobs. And the well-being of residents is bolstered by the economic health of a neighborhood where the conditions foster the building of community wealth. The problem occurs when that wealth building, um, when there's leakage in that wealth building and the wealth building opportunities um, are denied. And so when those wealth building opportunities are denied, you start to have all the various quality of life indicators um, that are parallel to that. So what we found in, in kind of a quick couple of points uh, in looking at the Lawndale service area, that first of all, there is community wealth leakage. So that was one of the first thing. We have a whole set of data talking about the leakage. And secondly, that there is educational and employment mismatch. So leakage occurs when wages from jobs within the community are distributed to people living outside of the community or when residents within the community must spend their money outside of the community to consume basic necessities. We know one of the basic tenets of economic development policies is you want dollars circulating through your community. And if those dollars are leaving, then, you, then there's a lot of things you're not able to do. Um, and, so, and there are also conditions that are created because of that absence of that wealth in the community. So what was the, one of the first findings? That $124 million in resident spending is leaving North Lawndale every year. Now, why is this occurring? Because we have insufficient living wages within North Lawndale for North Lawndale residents. There is an underdeveloped commercial corridor, virtually no commercial corridors or centers within the area, and therefore a minimum availability of goods and services within North Lawndale. When there is benefit occurring or when there are economic development opportunities that might arise in North Lawndale, this is important. They tended not to benefit existing residents. All right. This, I think, is one of the most important findings, I think, of the report. So when there were economic development opportunities, people in North Lawndale who were residents of North Lawndale were not the beneficiaries of that. As an example, jobs within the community grew by approximately 3,000 between 2010 and 2018. However, most of those jobs went to workers who live outside of the community. What we have then is this also a jobs race mismatch where an overwhelming number of workers who lived in North Lawndale in 2018 who identified as black or African American, that was almost 72% of the population. Yet the majority of the jobs within the community were held by workers who identified as white, over half, well over half, but they only comprised 2.3% of the population. So you have more than half the jobs being given to only 2.3% of the population. The jobs located within a community tended to pay higher than those held by residents who leave the community for work, which I think is an interesting point. So over half of the jobs in North Lawndale paid more than 3,333, but, but most working residents from North Lawndale were paid less than that amount. Here's an idea in, a, in one figure showing, for example, the number of people who work in North Lawndale but live outside. It's over 9,000. The number of people who live in North Lawndale but work outside. It's almost 12,000. And then you see that 500, about 500 of those who live and work um, in North Lawndale. Now, it's not unusual that people have to leave their neighborhoods to, to work. So that in itself isn't so much the problem as it is the imbalance. And those are pretty dramatic numbers, I think, to really point to the fact that, that the, ben the benefits, again, of economic development are not necessarily going to people who live um, in North Lawndale. So what we have then um, is this jobs residence imbalance. And this is important because a lot of times when businesses maybe are seeking incentives or, or other opportunities, they'll pitch themselves saying, well, we provide jobs. Um, and so therefore you should give us these tax benefits. Um, that is great, but it's, only, it's, it's valuable to the community if people in that community are actually getting those jobs. And what we found instead is that people in North Lawndale are having to leave in order to work. 
some of what this then shows up as is a decline in the median income. So you saw, for example, that or you know that the median income already in North Lawndale in 1980 was already very low. But what we see happen in this in the more more recent period between 1980 and and the 2015-2019 that. Even when we adjust for our inflation, that the median income declined by four thousand dollars, right? That's even when you control for um, um, for inflation and adjust the dollar. So this is a quick graph here for you to also see. For example, this is household income, and that top line is Lakeview, and you can see that steady increase. And the North Lawndale one is the one at the bottom, um, and so you see you see the decline there, and you see that even compared to other other comparable neighborhoods, the North Lawndale median income is still uh, not very high and is on the decline. But again, high-paying jobs are growing. But what we see, though, is that this, there's part of our understanding for why this is happening is there's also this local education mismatch that prevents North Lawndale residents from occupying the local high, higher-paying jobs. Jobs in North Lawndale do pay higher wages than the jobs held by local residents who are leaving. And so what we find then is that there is an education mismatch between the higher paying jobs in North Lawndale and the adult educational levels in North Lawndale. There is a mismatch then between the jobs also that require a bachelor's degree and the percentage of people in North Lawndale who have that degree. And figures like this give us avenues into strategies as well. Um, similarly, you can see that, that um, the um, percentage of, of uh, Lawndale working residents right, are 13%, but only but uh, how many of them then are not able to get access to the jobs because they're not, they don't have the access to the, to the, um, the bachelor's degree. The other thing we see that there's an industry employment mismatch. So the largest employing economic sector in North Lawndale was healthcare and social, uh, excuse me, it's social um, assistance industry. You see what percentage that is of the North Lawndale employment. But however, again, what we see is that only 20% of the of the working residents in North Lawndale are beneficiaries of that industry. Similarly, with education, uh, only 2.4% of North Lawndale working residents are beneficiaries in that sector. Education mismatch exists then between the North Lawndale residents and the healthcare and social assistance and educational service industries. So that programs that target uh, the population that maybe have completed some college to help them complete a, a bit more college, uh, this provides them um, opportunities and avenues for them to be able to access uh, jobs in this sector, which are paying higher, higher wages. What we have in North Lawndale, though, is a sizable portion of the population that's in low-wage jobs. And so given that 14% of adults in North Lawndale have not finished high school, programs need to be developed to improve the high school completion rate, again, to make them um, more competitive for these jobs that exist in their communities. Uh, vocational education becomes very important as an opportunity to burst earnings potential. Um, and along with the vocational education, the opportunities for internships, uh, again, particularly in those sectors that are growing in North Lawndale. Population loss is a consequence of lack of opportunity. So we know that, pop that uh, North Lawndale's population has been decreasing, particularly if we go back to 1980. Um, in 19... Uh, if we just look, going back to 2010, uh, we saw that it increased and the percentage of, of blacks also uh, decreased. And you see that the difference, for example, um, on um, how many, uh, what percentage of the population was, was African American compared to um, data today. But there are impacts. Uh, I, should, I should also point out here that... Um, that one of the things that, that, that well, and I'll come to it in a minute here, I think. But here's some of the impacts of a population loss, right? You end up with a lot of vacant lots. You have a decreased tax base. You have decreased opportunities for your businesses. And you have a decrease in your allocation of your public resources. Here's just a quick uh, map showing you all the vacant lots in North Lawndale. Again, these are vacant lots and uh, property that maybe only has minimal improvements on it. But that's, that's, 
those dots are, are tell you right that there's a lot of opportunity there, right? And so the part of the question is how do we build on that opportunity? But there are consequences then um, in terms of how this plays out for what's happening for folks in, in North Londia. We have a widening gap, which is also uh, in the, um, well, let me just go through this real quickly. Widening gap, there's economic insecurity, declining home ownership, increased housing cost burden, discrepancies in their access to quality health care. Um, there's a lot of health issues, including issues around, around drug-induced deaths, high pollution levels, and, of course, the fear of displacement. What we have is a widening gap in North Lawndale, and this is particularly important because since the recession, a lot of communities have been able to recover from the recession, but there are others who have not. And North Lawndale is a neighborhood that has not recovered from recession, and its poverty rates continue to be very high. Um, one of the impacts of poverty is also the impact that it has on families and, children's, and children and what that means for them. Uh, and then the, what, the home ownership rate has also declined. So the number, there's a high percentage, 76% of the residents in North Lawndale are renters. And the, the number of renter-owned occupied units, buildings, has also really decreased substantially. There's also a big housing cost burden where you have North Lawndale residents paying a very high percentage of their income on housing costs. There's issues around access to health care. There's a large percentage of the population that is uninsured. Now, while some of the uh, various diseases are comparable to other communities, what's, what's higher in North Lawndale is the mortality rates related to those diseases, uh, whether it's related to cancer, related to diabetes, for example. So the mortality rates uh, remain high. Um, issues around drug-induced deaths um, also continue to, to be a problem um, and, and is higher even than other neighborhoods that have, um, have high other indicators, other quality of life indicators. So there's something else going on there uh, in North Lawndale. Uh, you, you know about the um, air pollution, right? The, 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 they're mostly because I think of what's left over from the industrial areas. We have high rates of air pollution. And again, if you compare the air pollution of places like Lawndale, you'll see, or excuse me, like Lakeview, Lakeview, you see the high rates. We know there's uh, violent crime, three times the rate of the, of the city. And we think it's important also when we look at crime to look at the policy approaches in a way that's very integrated and invests in both people and place. And then finally, you have a lot of concern uh, by residents about the fear of displacement. What happens when all this investment occurs, right? As the investment comes into this community, if we already have a pattern of new jobs coming in, but people in North Lawndale not being the beneficiaries of those new jobs, what happens when a new investment comes in? How do you make sure that people who have hung in there all this time in North Lawndale still get to be the beneficiaries of the new development? And that, in some ways... Um, is is uh, first of all, it's an, an op presents an opportunity when, as this new investment is is coming into the area. How then it uh, can they work very closely with community folks to make sure that as these policies, as these projects, as these developments occur, that they're really addressing the employment, educational needs other needs that are expressed by people that are uh, by people in North Lawndale, and how can it be done in a way that does not lead to more displacement? Just wanted to put this slide up really quickly to, to invite you to go to our website where you can get a full copy of it. We did put copies of the executive summary, one copy on each table that you can look at. But we uh, there's a whole lot of data there, and uh, I had a lot of fun this week taking um, lots of data and putting it together for 10-minute presentation. So, <laughs> but, so I invite you to go check out some, some of that data. And I, again, and then to end on on this point, I think which which uh, which pulls it together, um, the idea that that part of what's happening in this in North Lawndale and what's contained in this in this data book is that diminished opportunities, both economic and educational, are having an adverse impact on the quality of life in North Lawndale, and point to the need for substantial investments in the community. But these investments should result in neighborhood improvements that ensure benefit to current residents and avert their displacement. So the challenge in our conversation today is how do we ensure that positive changes in North Lawndale benefit those who have continued to live there? So thank you.
So now we're going to have a conversation with this wonderful, illustrious panel. And I'm going to start first, right, with you, Rodney. I'm, I'm going to, you're going to, you're my go to guy here. What is it going to take? to see the economic development solutions for for this community, for true economic solutions. What is it going to take? How much time do I have? <laughs> Quite frankly, though, in, in North Lindale, particularly NOCCC, we believe the answer to that question is going to be comprehensive. So I'll answer, and you hear my colleagues also address it. But from an economic perspective, you talked about the commercial corridors. We need to have the commercial corridors built up and have infrastructure put on those corridors so that we can develop commercial centers. At my organization, New Covenant, we have people coming into our office all the time looking to start business and grow business and then looking to locate in North Lindale. Unfortunately, over the years, what's happened is I've not been able to direct them to any place where they can locate in the community. So they're going somewhere else. We train them, then they move out of the community and start somewhere else. So that's one of the things we have to make sure we address. The other thing we have to address, and I want to make this point, you talk about the leakage. Imagine $124 million a year leaving a community. 124 million. When we were starting in OCCC, one of the, I also chaired the Economic Development Committee, and at one of the meetings, a gentleman walked to me at the meeting and said, Rodney, I go outside of North Lawndale for everything except my haircut. Mm-hmm. Everything. So imagine your community if you only had one amenity that you went to to support the local economic development. That's what we're dealing with. So we have to make sure we've got a quarter that's built up where people can come and start an establishing grow business. So we need to attract investment, much as we're doing right now. Then we have to make sure that we have the amenities in place that the community determines they want in place. Not something someone else says, hey, come, let's just plop something down. But talk to the community, engage the community, talk to local business owners about what it's going to take. The other thing we're looking at doing is how do we make sure that the existing businesses that are there right now are allowed to stay in the grow and to expand? With all the development that's coming to the community, we want to make sure that we don't chase those individual business owners out. So part of our focus also is to look at how do we help develop a legacy process so existing business owners, as they leave those businesses, they then sell them to local entrepreneurs. So we're training them up, getting them ready, and making sure that they have the credit in place, et cetera, so that when they leave those businesses, they can then transfer those to other local entrepreneurs. Our goal and focus is to have that $124 million circulating throughout North Lindale. Thank you, Ronnie. Do you want to comment on that, Brenda? Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things I think is so important for people to understand is even though the unemployment rate in North Lawndale remains three times higher than the city of Chicago, it is not a reflection of folks' desire to work. And that is a narrative that we have to keep pushing out because it's easy to look at numbers and say, wow, 15.9% unemployment rate, those folks don't, they don't want to work. But the reality is that there are reasons why individuals aren't able to work. And we've mentioned this in this incredible report, which I'm so grateful for. Because when you talk about the Mitch match between education and the type of jobs that are available in North Lawndale, you know, I would want employers to rethink who they're hiring and what the qualifications are for that job for real. Does it require an advanced degree? Does it require a bachelor's or even an associate's degree? But if we would shift our focus to looking at skills, then we would broaden that labor pool and more people from community could actually work and have jobs that sustain themselves and their families. So that's one challenge. And I, and it's easy to understand that most of the time everyone thinks that if I go for a person who has a college education, that they're going to be a better employee. But I have found in the people that I've hired who do not have backgrounds, sorry, that do not, that's a Freudian slip, here we go. <laughs> but for people who, who do not have higher ed, that they are some of the most dedicated hardworking, loyal employees that you'll ever have. And so I think we have to rethink who in the neighborhood actually can do the job based on skills rather than this barrier uh, for many. Now, uh, I know we have real tight time constraints, but I also want to address the fact that, you know, there are people who want to work but aren't working and why. And I, we take a look at that. And over the years, we've seen people that have attempted to get higher education, 
But life happens. And they're not able to finish that degree. They're not able to finish that program. And so you have people with a high school education paying for a college debt. That's a setback. You have people that have untreated and and undiagnosed mental health issues, and they are real. And that, you know, things like ADHD, depression, anxiety, depression, those things challenge how you show up every day and will contribute to your inability to keep a job, right? So it's it's really investing deeply in those kinds of resources. And the last piece I'll add, because I probably won't get into the chance, um, is, is those men and women who are returning from incarceration. Our U-Turn Permitted Program has served thousands and thousands of people over the years. And what I know for sure is that if you have served your time, then you have served your time. And people deserve an opportunity to work. And again, it's like the academic requirement. What is the relationship between the type of crime that was committed and the job that you're looking for? Is there one? And if not, can we rethink what those, what those policies and what, those, what the um, hiring practices would be? What we know for sure is that 90% of the people who we lock up will return back to community. Roughly 700,000 people a year return from, from prison. So, so that's roughly, and I, I, it took me a minute to figure this out, y'all, but that's roughly a little more than the entire population of the state of Wyoming. Now think about that every year, that number of people coming back. So here's the deal. They're not coming back. They're here. We wouldn't have a labor shortage, in my opinion, if we would consider that population to be viable applicants for jobs, if we would take a minute to look at the type of relationship between the crime and what the kind of work they're, and the type of work they're seeking. Um, and one, one last thing, because I wanted to speak to, to Rodney. We have built an incredible workforce development campus. Many of you have helped to make that possible. But we have a cafe and people, okay, I hear that. Be love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so we're one of the businesses, not only, not only doing workforce development, but it's exciting to be part of this vision of creating a place where people can gather and have a great coffee experience or a tea experience with local honey as well. So there is hope and there are sweet beginnings to be had. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, one of the things that's important about, I think, this whole collaboration, this whole effort, and, sh- and I think is probably really clear to you all, is how many assets there are in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. You know, it's like there's, there are people who are engaged, who are committed, who are passionate, right? Who are, who are doing the work, right? And, and I think that's, that's what we build from and we build on. So, I mean, I think you all here really, really represent that. And I, I, there's a lot more that I would love to pull out of you there for conversation. But let me, let me go to Deborah here real quickly. Um, you know, Deborah, with with all of these sort of issues, and we talked a little bit about this related to uh, some of the indicators around poverty, it impacts health as well, both mental and physical health. Um, and if you want to maybe talk a little bit about not only that some of the issues, but more importantly, what are some of the things that we need to do to address some of the health issues? Well, one of the things that, and I'm looking at all of the great data that you that you put put out there. But I also want to say this is not anything new. Mm-hmm. We know that this has been going on. The difference is, is that there's an understanding that now you're here in this room listening to us, hearing us to say, here's a community that you can look literally downtown. We're not far from the kind of the center of Chicago, right? Here's a community that wants to stay here, wants to thrive, has been paying attention to our own data. So when we went through this whole planning process, and even it went before that, but we went through this planning process to say, how do, what does our community look like 50 years from now? 
What do we need to do now? What do we need to do to make sure that those of us who live in this community can stay? How do we define health? How do, how do we become well in an impoverished community? How do we become well in a community that's been, we drive through and not to? Big difference. How do we create a, a community that is valued as much as the people who have stayed there have valued their own community? So when we talk about health, um, there are, I cannot, we, here at Sinai, we, we have to be very intentional now. We've had to change the way that we do business. We know that the hospital is just one part of the, the continuum of care. We have to look out into the community and say, if it's a diabetic, we just can't say, Richard, you're a doctor. Richard, you need to go to and eat healthy foods. You need, I want you to go to the grocery store. I want you to go buy this and buy that. Then the thing is, he's going to say, I don't know, where the heck are you going to go? Where am I going to go? <laughs> one of the things when we created Sinai Community Institute, it was the question that I asked the board at that time is, what do you think this community wants that's different from yours? Mm-hmm. And it was nothing. The difference is, is the amount of kind of what's in place, what are those assets, and where are those opportunities to partner? And here I see being in this space is an opportunity to partner with a community that only wants better, doesn't want the same, they want better. We want to make sure that our babies don't die mm. unnecessarily. Yes. We want to make sure that they're not hungry. Mm. We On the news today is Harmony Baptist Church. It's, it's just lines waiting for folks because they have a food pantry. That's in the center of North Lawndale. Because they can't go to a grocery store to get what that, that kind of things. Think about it. Think. Look at the data. Read about uh, covid and how that has impacted our community. And it's real easy to say, now, I want you to, you know, I want you to stay in the house uh, for 10 days and take care of yourself. There are a lot of questions on how, how do I do that? And to prepare our kids um, to, to still thrive economically. I'm saying that health and wellness is beyond the medical campus. Our organization was created not only to, to, to treat the, the wounds that you see, but the wounds you don't see, the damage that has been done over years. And this has to be done collectively. I'm as strong as you are, or I'm as weak as you are. That's how it is in our community. But we're a strong, thriving community, and we just want you all to get on board and help us move this train. I'll stop right there. Richard, in your opening remarks, you made reference to um, Invest Southwest and some of the other developments and the interest that's being paid to uh, to North Lawndale. So this is great because this means you know, potentially an infusion of money coming into the community. Um, so in line with this idea of, how, of making sure that these new investments bring value to the to the people who live there, can you speak a little bit about what is an ideal partnership and, and, sure. and what, are that, what, what should that relationship look like with, with the people who, uh, who are interested in, in investing sure. in, in North Lawndale? I think that um, one of the things that we talked about is we need a Marshall Plan for North Lawndale, right? And so we need, in the same way that during COVID, we saw all of this stuff. Foundations were going beyond just giving 5%. And we saw, you know, the F, you know, FDA and the CDC, like it would take years to get drugs. They would, you know, so all of the things that it takes now to move forward, they were moving, right? And so we want that same thing to be happening in North Lawndale. We need a Marshall Plan. One example, uh, permits in Chicago. Most of you folks in this crowd are developers, right? How long does it take to get permits? Too long, right? <laughs> so whether it's permits or zoning or legal or planning or environment, there's so many barriers to getting things done. And so making sure that there is an ombudsperson 
that will move stuff along. We've got two Invest Southwest projects in North Lawndale. We'd love to have them closed by the end of the year so that those jobs can happen and so that people in the neighborhood can begin to see the benefit of what's going on. So that's just one example, right? If we had a Marshall plan for North Lawndale, Marshall the resources that we need to build. We're going to build a thousand homes in North Lawndale for working people, right? As part of our reclaiming campaign. These are homes not for the market, right? These are homes for people, and they're going to cost less than $250,000 a year for a single-family home, three-bedroom, two-bath, and we're going to be building for the next decade, right? But we don't, we, to be honest, I don't care about housing. I don't. It's, that's interesting to say from a guy who's a developer. I care about housing because people have to live in it, right? So we care about people. I don't care about steel and lumber. We care about people. And so we want to make sure that people in our neighborhood have access to a beautiful brand new home that they can afford for roughly what they're paying in rent right now. Right. That's what we want to do. And we want to do it at scale so that it's not swallowed up by the devastation of having 3000 vacant lots in one neighborhood. Right. And so we want to build at scale, making sure that everyday people have an opportunity to own and build equity and wealth and do it at a big scale. So that's part of what we want to do. So we've given you guys all of our recommendations in that packet that's on your table. Um, you should take a look at NLCCC's website if you want to look at the plan. And as my sister Deborah said, if you want to get on board, you need to get on board. <laughs> Rodney, let me, let me turn to you and ask you a kind of a similar question. How you see um, the future in North Lawndale as it relates to some of these new investments? Well, I see the future as looking a whole lot better. We had a steering committee meeting last week, and we talked about the developments that are coming to North Lawndale now that weren't even in existence or being considered five years ago. So that makes it look bright. But to the point Richard's making, it's not over. We still got a lot of work to do. The point that Brendan made about there being bright and intelligent people in the community, look at our quality of life plan. That plan was put together by stakeholders in North Lawndale. It wasn't people downtown. No offense to downtown people. But it, was no, it, was not downtown. it wasn't somebody that somebody sent. When we had the community meetings to talk about what do you want to see, as Deborah pointed out, we said, what do you want to see in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? This is what they said they wanted to see. So look at our quality of life plan. That is what I see coming. And so when you look at that quality of life plan, I see manifestation that's starting to happen now. And so that's what I see in terms of happening in North Lindale, because the people in the community are looking at how do we make this happen? And then we have partners from outside North Lindale that are coming to say, how can we support? The answer is, this is the president calling me. The answer is... <laughs> The, the, the answer is to get on board with our quality of life plan, come alongside NOCCC in North Lindale, and ask us, how can we help? Great. Thank you. Um, you know, Brenda, I, I want to go to... Oh, here comes Jackie. Do I have one more question in there? You know, Brenda, as Jackie's coming up to take your questions... Um, there's something you said in some of our conversation that, that really stuck with me, which was about current employers and the need to create an environment where people from North Lawndale feel welcome in those environments to work. You know, some of our previous research, we show that more, all, about 70 percent about of young people, young men between the African-American men between the ages of 20, 24 in North Lawndale are neither in school nor in work. Um, and so... So that's even higher than any unemployment, right? The idea of the joblessness rate. So, you, you know, you were talking about that this sort of whether or not they can feel comfortable, whether they're welcomed, whether they're made to feel welcome. If you could talk a little bit more about that and expand upon that to then say, what is it really going to take to make sure that as these new investments, as these new opportunities come, that North Lawndale folks are, are beneficiaries? Thank you. I... I have to agree with Richard that sometimes the thing, it's not about the thing, uh, whether it's housing or a job, but it's the quality of that job and it's the quality of the home that you're building for, for people. And so one of the challenges that we've experienced is people, it matters. Workplace culture matters. And too many times we've walked into environments where even if a person is qualified, they don't feel comfortable. And where you are not comfortable, you don't stay long. And it contributes to that high rate of, of turnover. So one of the challenges is how do we help 
partner um, and to ensure that there are diversity, inclusion, and equity, and belonging workshops and supports that will help retain the, the, the culture and the people that you have. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think that after this pandemic, people have really thought differently about where I want to work. And that environment matters. Um, we know that there are three, four things that people really care about. And the North Lawndale Employment Network has defined a good job as one where you are compensated well, and that means fairly, where you can support yourself and your family, where there's opportunity for advancement, and not just advancement, that there's transparency in that pathway to advancement that people have the opportunity to have benefits, comprehensive benefits. And the last, but probably one of the more important, is an environment where they're treated with respect. And if we can help shape and shift the way in which we retain and attract and hire, we would not have a labor shortage in this country. People want to work. Um, and so how do we reduce those barriers and create a culture that enables them to be who they are? Can I add one thing? Please. Um, and that is, you know, the data shows that the healthcare system mm -hmm. has a lot of jobs. The challenge is, and actually I, I think we, I looked at the data, like 10% of our workforce live in North Lawndale. The challenge is that there are certain jobs, and a lot of them, that if, if you have a, 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 an offense, a ding on your background, we can't hire you. And so the question is, and it can ties to what, one of the things that Brenda said, is what jobs are those that really need to, we need to revisit? You know, um, I look at healthcare as kind of a, a, a place that has all types of jobs. You can, not just a doctor and a nurse, you've got accountants, you've got different kinds of therapists, you've got teachers, you name it, we have it under this umbrella. But because we're under the the cloud, if you will, of a healthcare system, it limits the, the individuals that we can hire, not because we don't want to, it's that we can't. Right. We'd be violating the law. So in terms of a policy, we need to look at that in terms of really doing a deep dive on those job um, Qualification. qualifications that are underneath the, uh, the, the health care systems. Now, that's a really important point and one, I think, where you could probably get a lot of, a lot of support and a lot of momentum for that. Yeah, fantastic. And out of respect, um, I think Jackie is ready to, to field some of the questions that you all have asked. Again, there's one copy per table of the executive summary, and we invite you either to our website or to the Great Cities uh, website to look at more detail in the report. Um, and we hope that, that this has uh, been useful. But again, we're not done. We still have some more questions, and we'll have some probably final wrap-up points as well. Thank you, Dr. Cordova. Don't go too far. We won't be long. Um, one of the reasons, take a look around at the room, first of all. We are making it our business and a habit to, thank you, Amanda, to make the City Club uh, forums look more like Chicago. I said that last week, and I'd like to say that... One of the reasons that this room looks like it does is because there's a lady sitting over on the north side of the room, and um, when things are good, I get chills. This is something like church for me. So um, there's a woman who's sitting over in the corner, and we really owe her a debt of gratitude. Many of you may not know her, but you know her name. Um, Betty Lou Saltzman is here. So I could listen to this all day long. And one thing that I know, Dr. Cordova, you didn't go, okay, didn't go far. Um, one thing that I know for sure is, you know, really, really smart people like PhD types um, take a long time to say what they're going to say, but it's because we ought to be listening, right? So if you're wondering, did we go over? Yes, we did. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do, right? You're going to stop her? 
right? Not at all, because you wanted to hear everything that was said. And I think that Mr. Townsend and Ms. Wesley and Mr. Brown and Miss um, Palms Barber, is that, is that right? But I absolutely love your outfit, by the way, um, have shared so much information. And as I looked around the room, I just told my friend Claude from UCAN, I think he may have left, but Claude Robinson, I think he's here. I love the fact that so much of Lawndale is in here, but it is all about getting people who want, these people want to work, right. right? They want to go to work. And so when I heard the unemployment rate of 15.9, that was a little bit shocking to me. Um, but I notice that there are people like ComEd in the room, Cinescape. And that says something, right? That's where jobs are. And I would be remiss if I didn't say it. I don't know who to say it to in this group, but if there is anything that the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership can do to help, um, I think I know a few people there. So, um, so very quickly here, uh, Andrea Rayleigh, am I saying your name right? You are a city club member? Okay, very good, because I was going to ask you if you weren't, you know the drill, I was going to say, you know, if you, um, <laughs> Rayleigh Associate Property Tax Policy Consultants, I don't know to whom this question is being focused, so you guys can figure that out. Cook County has the fourth highest foreclosure rate in the nation, disproportionately affecting black communities. All Illinois counties are protected from inequitable assessments, high taxes due to the 2010 law allowing assess assessors to consider foreclosures in their reassessment formulas and tax appeals. State Senate Bill 3788 levels the playing field and includes Cook County and Lawndale Development Corporation supporting State Bill 3788. Did I sum your question up right? Yeah. Okay, I don't, where are you? Oh, you have the good seats. Okay. By the way, I believe there's not a bad seat in the house because if you need to tip out, that's where you need to be. So I don't know who that question goes to. Does one of you want to take that on? Or it sounded more like a statement. Is that a statement, yes or no? Because you have a yes or no at the end of it. Does who support it? Oh. So, do you all support the bill? I'd have to read it. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> Okay, so the, 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 the unanimous consent was they'd have to look at the bill. So, I refer to you all to www.ilga.gov to read the bill. All right. So, the next question is from Lee Jesse from First T. Are you here, Lee? Hmm. <laughs> it says you did. Okay, well, we're going to ask the question anyway. We are, someone asked it. In advance. in advance, right? We like questions in advance. We are not-for-profit looking to develop our next youth facility on the west side. We are looking at buying or leasing and building about 10,000 square feet. What types of grants or funding might be available to us via this Invest Southwest initiative? Or others. So... I would admit, I would say that there are probably a number of different opportunities to sit down and have a conversation about it. I mean, there's a neighborhood opportunity fund, there's SPIF, there's all kinds of things we can take a look at. What we want to do is have you have a conversation to see what you want to build, why you want to build it, make sure it fits with our quality of life plan. I think that's the first step because, again, in, in being in partnership with the community, you want to make sure that when you come that you're addressing a need that we need to have addressed in that community. So if you want to sit down and have a conversation, let's do that. Love that. Mitch Dickey from... Transfer? Am I saying that right? Okay. You know, I don't usually ask questions if they're not around. Maybe they're on, maybe they're watching virtually. So, um, and, and it's kind of more of a statement because I think it was discussed. I think Dr. Cordova talked about it. What are the major challenges you're facing to help residents in your communities get on, get, get to sustainable living wage career paths? And I think that we talked about that a little bit. Ms. Palms talked about that. So, um, because I, I'm really running short on time. If you notice, we did not ask for questions today. Not because we don't want to hear from you, but because the room is packed and because we had these great panelists who provided more information and I'm sure they have more to share. <laughs> so we will have to absolutely. 